back to the bin. Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. Today we are doing our first Freaky Five episode. And if you're not familiar with the Freaky Five, that was a feature on Comics Monthly Monday. And as much as I do hope that Comics Monthly Monday one day resurrects from having pod faded, until it does, we're stealing their stuff. Stealing their shtick. We're stealing their shtick because we don't have quite enough shtick of our own. So... I'm Paul Spataro. I'm joined Now I want to kick you right in the stomach and go, steal my stuff. (laughs) Does it really count if we steal it and you're on both shows anyway? No, not really. (laughs) You have my permission. And I have been on Comics Monthly Monday and done Freaky Fives on there, so I feel like it's, it's, I have, what you call I have ownership of the intellectual property anyway. Wow, really? (laughs) Well, no, but yeah, whatever. (laughs) Anyway, I'm Paul Spataro. I'm joined today, as you might have heard already, by Dr. Bill Robinson. And Scott, hey, I can count to five, Gardner. Hello. Five. (laughs) How are you guys doing? Five annuals. Five (laughs) annual freaky show. I'm doing well. Um, You know, it's funny because when you proposed this and I was looking at it, I was like... Ooh, annuals. That's going to be tough, you know, because my, my first thought when I think of annuals, I generally think of really crappy and disappointing stories that cost too much that I generally bought out of some sense of obligation because, you know, I was collecting the, the main title or whatever. So in order to do this, I went into my database. My database for all my collection is is simply all it is is there, there's a cover scan for each comic in my collection. And, you know, they just have the the name, you know, the name of the file is the name on the indicia of the comic. So I just went in and did, you know, in the folder where all these pictures are, I just did a you know search for annual and it pulled up all the annuals. And I started looking through images and I'm looking through and I'm like, crap, 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 crap. And then all of a sudden it started like, boom, 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 boom. And I wound up up with, I mean, this could have been like the top 15. I mean, I I wound up with quite the list. I pared it down, but I have uh, have quite the list of honorable mentions uh, at the end of the show as well. But yeah, this this turned out, it was a lot more challenging than I thought it would be, but not for the reasons I thought. I thought I would struggle to come up with five. I struggled to, to pare it down to five. Because uh, yeah, there's there were some really good things in there. But uh, that said, though, there there are a lot of really really shit annuals. As well, well. There, there absolutely <laughs> are. And and yeah, if if you haven't picked up, it's this is our top five annuals. And I don't remember who suggested this. Let me. Oh, I'm sorry, I gave it away, didn't I? I was thinking <laughs> you had already okay. said. I'm uh, I'm running this is, this on. This suggested by Matthew Guy. Oh okay. Um. Thank you, Matthew. Did... There's a lot. There are a lot of crap annuals, and and to me that kind of goes against the whole idea of what you're looking for in an annual. You don't want to, you know, a, a lousy, uh, you know, extra story that they had laying around that they just stuck out there for you, or, or the test that they gave to the, you know, aspiring uh, comic artist. Mm-hmm. You, you want something that's that's you know epic and bombastic, and you know, like something that's going to really make be memorable when it's done. And right. there are some that kind of fit that bill, and there are definitely ones. I only listed five. I didn't do any honorable mentions. But there were definitely some that I thought about 
but didn't make the list, so there are. But I would say there were a lot more that I left off my list because they're crap than the <laughs> other way around. How about you, well, Bill? Did you have t- trouble coming up with the list? Um, it took me a while. I spent about an hour um, this evening. There was two that popped in my head right away, and then I just then I couldn't. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I remember this story. Was that an annual? Was it not an annual? So then I went through and 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 did some digging and snorting. But uh, I came up with five, and then uh, then a possible honorable mention or two. As, it could, it as could be well. interesting because we we have not shared with each other what's on our lists. So this is all I know. We all back have to the, the same five. <laughs> <laughs> the, I don't think so. I I'll be surprised. Too. Mine is a mine is an interesting mix of you know stories as you say you know things that I thought were were truly epic and truly special, and uh, also a mix a, a heavy amount of of nostalgia just you know things that gave me the warm fuzzies. There was one that I wanted so bad to put on my list of five, and I ended up bumping it to honorable mention only because. Uh, it, it was purely just nostalgia. I mean, what? not that it's not a great story or anything, but anyway, we'll, we'll get into all that. But was that the was that the Captain Canuck annual? <laughs> no. <laughs> Before we get into this, did you guys uh, did you guys have anything as far as in the world of funny books? Anything new and exciting or anything like that? Uh, uh, nothing new for me. Ah. <laughs> Oh, I found out I was right in my assumption as to what was going to happen with the whole Steve Rogers was a sleeper agent, uh, Hydra sleeper agent. Ah, oh, what happened? Do do tell. Well, I don't want to spoil it. Preface it with spoilers. Oh, I'm never I'm never going to read it. I don't know about the listeners, but well, because you know we all know I'm the big spoiler. So <laughs> if you don't want to listen, if you don't want to know how that was kind of resolved, leave now. Okay. So anyway. There was a while back where they're like, oh, Steve Rogers has always been a Hydra agent. And I'm like, oh, I'm like baloney. I said, this is the Red Skull with a Cosmic Cube. Bingo, on the nose, Red nice. Skull. And I was like, ha, take that. I thought he was dead. I don't know. He got better. Who knows anymore? I'm so far behind. I, I don't know anything really after um, the last Secret Wars series. I don't really know what's going on. I only read that like in an article somewhere, and I was like, ha, huh, I, I knew that was how they were going to fix that. Mm. Now, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I know you guys probably haven't watched that. That got pretty good recently, and I won't spoil anything on that, because I know you guys probably haven't seen it. But I was like, ooh. Well, that that raises an interesting question, because as a matter of fact, I, I just got a text tonight about this. So uh, I forget which one of you guys it was. It was one of you two guys hooked me up with, uh, a four issue mini that I just learned existed. And when I heard about it, I'm like, Ooh, I've got to read that. That sounds really good. I forget how I, I stumbled ac- across this, but there was a four issue mini called, uh, Captain America Patriot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I really want to read that. Cause that sounds really good. Well, I got a copy thanks to you guys and I read it and I friggin' loved it. I thought it was awesome. Have you, have you read it? Have you guys read it? I have it. I haven't read it though. It is. I thought it was phenomenal, and right away uh, I, I texted Michael Bailey and I'm like, "Have you read this?" And he's like, "Oh yes, I love that book. It's great." I'm like, "Dude, this needs to be a podcast." So, so maybe we'll my, do an know, episode on that and have Mike on for it. 
that's that's what I was going to ask you. So he had met, he had texted me today because this this was about a week ago when we were text, texting back and forth. I'm like, that's got to happen. And he's like, yep, let me know what your days off are. And then something shiny went by and I forgot to get back with Mike. But he texted me tonight and he's like, so when do you want to do that episode? And I'm like, well, it depends. I was like, do you want to do it just you and I or do you want to you know get the guys together and we'll do it, you know, all, all four of us? And he's like, you know, I'm good either way. So I was going to pitch it to you guys if you were interested uh, and do it as a bins with all four of us, or or what do you think? Uh, that's like fine with me. Four of us, if I can, if if, if we're not cool. imposing on you know, on you guys. No, not at all, not at all. I think that would be awesome. But I, I just didn't know if you guys were interested, or if you'd read it, or anything like that. But uh, uh, you know, I, of course, I just buried the lead that I loved it. But I I did love it. I I thought it was phenomenal. I was a, I was you know sad when i got to the end of it i'm like damn i wish there was more i wish this was a series it was that good so yeah i'd, I'd like to do it so cool i'll uh, i'll let mike know and we'll we'll see if we can arrange it so to the listeners be be listening out for captain america patriot if you haven't read it seek it out read it it's freaking awesome but i mentioned that because it ties into what you were saying bill about um agents of shield which i'm horribly behind on but now i want to get caught up knowing uh you know what's what's you know, the direction they're going with that specific character? Have you? I thought that was cool. Have you read? Uh, I mean, how how much of the season have you seen? I was watching the beginning of the season with Ghost Rider and everything. I, I couldn't tell you the exact episode. You see, the, the only reason I fell behind in the show is that we ditched uh, the dish. Mm. And we went to now we're getting our, our TV through. It's like a combination of different places. We're getting it through. There's there. Believe it or not, there's still channels that broadcast, which I had no idea. I thought. Oh, they yeah. Stopped yeah. Broadcasting well, that's how I watch ago. it. I watch it. So when one mm-hmm. minute's on and then if I miss it, I can catch it on Hulu. Right. So we're, we're doing, you know, broadcast Hulu, PlayStation View and Netflix and maybe one or two others, which is kind of a pain in the ass because everything's spread all over the place. And you've got to remember like what show you watch on which different you know thing or whatever. But it, I mean, it's saving us a ton of money, so I can't oh. complain. But I fell behind because I was taping it regularly, and when we ditched the disc and had to give all the stuff back, of course, you know, all my uh. all my shows were on there, and then I fell behind and. At this point, I probably just need to start watching it all over again. But the other day, I went into, again, whichever service it was, Hulu or whatever, intending to get caught up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and they only have, like, the five most recent episodes. I'm like, what the hell? Well, that's so, the way they operate, and yeah, yeah that sucks. Yeah, so you're you're going to have a gap there, unless you can go on ABC, but then you can't really, if you go on ABC's website, unless you have a cable subscription, they usually can't access their shows unless you get it from a friend and uh, watch well, it that here, way. Here's what I don't understand. So, you know, I if you go all the way back to the very first episode of Two True Freaks, way back in 2008, our very first episode was Chris Honeywell and I basically, you know, bragging about what pirates we were at the time. That hasn't changed a hell of a lot, except for the fact that in all those years, up until about a year and a half ago, I had never gotten in any trouble whatsoever downloading anything. And I mean, I, you know, for one thing, I don't consider myself what, what Chris Honeywell dubbed a humper, which is just somebody that just downloads wantonly, you know, with no regard. I, I mean, I download mostly comics uh, and books and, you know, the occasional like TV show or whatever. Um, but anyway, long story short, 
I ended up getting a cease and desist in the mail for downloading an episode of, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because I was trying to get caught up. And this was last season. And I'm hmm. like, I don't get that. I mean, this is a show that was just on TV like three weeks ago at the time. Yet they're going to send you a cease and desist for downloading the episodes so that you can get caught up on the show. I don't get that. I understand when it's a movie that's like, you know, they're losing sales on the sale of the DVD or getting your ass in the theater seat or something like that. But I don't get it when it's a free television show that just aired. I, I, somebody needs to explain that to me because I don't understand how that's a thing. But sure enough, I, I got one, and it's the first one I ever got in my life, and it was enough to scare me straight. I'm like, whoops. Well, so, because they probably yeah, figure yeah. like either either you're gonna you're gonna just do it the old fashioned way and see it when it comes out, or or you're gonna pay for one of the ways that we show it after the fact after it's broadcast. But um, yeah, no, I don't yeah. know. I, I I've never gotten any of those, but yeah, but I kind of stopped doing anything like that about like a year and a half ago because I started getting strange things happening to my computer, and I was like, yeah, well, I I'm think not, I'm not really, you know, I can wait. I think they've been a lot more. Um, I, I think they've upped the the stakes in the war on piracy because um, I've noticed the the same sorts of things. I notice comics are not out there uh, as prevalent as they were, at least through torrents and things like I was doing before. They they may have already switched to some other form of distribution, and I I got to be honest, I don't keep up anymore. You know, I, I get so tired of, you know, the the thing pops up and it's, you know, it's the hot new thing and everybody's doing it. And then, you know, the they they start attacking that service. So then, you know, they all switch to some new form of technology. I just I'm too old to keep doing that shit. So, you know, if, if torrents really are going, you know, the way of the dinosaur because of, you know, the war on piracy or whatever, then, well, you know, that's fine. Then I, I guess I don't. I don't need to. I don't need to be downloading them then, because I'm tired of keep switching around and all that crap. But anyway, I feel like I, I horribly tangented you because you were starting to talk about Agents of Shield, but I just oh, thought no, about no, no. that because I heard from. Well, I mean, tonight. no, I mean, I, I don't. I don't want to. Basically, they've got uh, after Ghost Rider, they had the the LMD story arc, which kind of has come to a not not a conclusion, but has led into. A new story arc, but I can't tell you what it is because it would kind of spoil it. Okay. So, but it was. But if you see a commercial, you're going to go, oh, and, and you'll be spoiled anyway. But now I'll <laughs> just let you get spoiled if you see a commercial. So, okay. but I, I also started to watch because also on Hulu you can catch uh, that new show Legion based off of uh, the Professor X character. I mean, uh, his son, but uh -huh. it's not really his son in the show. It's pretty. It's a pretty freaky show. I'm liking it so far. Is it related to the movies? <laughs> no, no, it doesn't seem to be. It seems to be its own universe. They do, they do use the word mutant, uh, but I've seen no direct movie tie-in. Uh, he does seem to be a character that has multiple key. There has multiple personalities with multiple powers. Um, hmm. it, that is on Hulu. I would go catch it before, it, and it only has like three episodes in so far. Um, so catch it before it goes. I would definitely, definitely get, keep an open mind. It is pretty, okay, just as freaky. I tried to explain this to someone who had no concept what a Bill Sankevich comic book was. So it was kind of hard for them to understand, but I know you will understand this. It is like watching a Bill Sankevich TV show, if you can understand that. Sure. 
So it's going to be, you got to just really just, just does, sit back he, and just take it in. Does he have the Don King hair like he, like he did in the comics? No, but there, I swear there's a character in there. looks just like, um, uh, the fat, um, psychic. Is it the black King? The one Farouk Abdul, whatever, the one that Charles. Oh yeah. 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 I think he's the black King. I think that's right. Yeah, there's there's a character that kind of looks like that. It keeps popping up like the character David sees him in, in the corner of his eye in in different shots. And it's like this this puppet looking type thing, CGI. And then there'll be, you know, there's just all kinds of weird shit going on behind him. And uh, then where he's at now, he's escaped to a place where people are trying to help him, hide him from the government. And they're going into his memories because there's another mutant guy that can go into memories. And and then they go in there and they get trapped in his memories and they act, they physically get hurt. It's really strange. It's out there. It, but it's good. It's good. I would definitely I would definitely give it a shot. Hmm. But hurry before it goes away. Of course, by the time this gets out, it'll go away. But I'm telling <laughs> you, Scott, right now, three episodes are up. Probably when they get to like two more weeks, two or three more weeks, pfft, they're going to drop the first episode, so you got to watch it. Why you can't? Weird. Why do they do that? I think that they only keep like the latest, the last five at, on current season shows. They keep like the last five, and they drop. Oh, them I got you. Okay. Because I think that's what that's what the actual sites do as well. Like the ABC site, Fox's sites, CW. I think they only keep the latest five episodes, and they drop them off. So un- until the season's done, and then they'll drop the whole season at some point. So. Yeah, catch it while you can. I don't know why they do that. That's weird. Mm. It makes it hard to catch up if you're if you're more than those. Yeah, you know, if you five get more episodes than a month and a, like a month and a half behind, you're going to miss an episode, basically. Well, that's all the babbling I got for comic related stuff. Well, I had a few things. Um, so recently, stop me if you've heard this one because I can't remember if I if I told this. Uh, oh yeah, tale yeah. On a, on a I heard show. it. Never mind. <laughs> I can't remember if I told this on a show or not, but I, I discovered that uh, there is a local uh, antiques mall in the area that had some comics there. So I went and looked around there. I basically spent like an afternoon exploring uh, a couple of those. Uh, there's actually two of them. Um, not you know, they're, I thought at first that they were owned by the same people, but it turns out they're not. But strangely, they're both in the same like strip mall. So it's really odd that you'd have two antique malls, you know, there that are in direct competition with each other. It's, it's really weird. But between the two of them, I found, you know, that they really had some really cool collectibles there and, uh, and also some comics. So it's weird. I went and I spent like an entire afternoon digging around there. I found a bunch of stuff that I'm going to keep an eye on. I'm going to come back, you know, go back and probably pick up at some point. But for the day I was actually there, all I spent was $2. I bought, I just happened to find as I was thumbing through a box, I found, I don't know if you guys remember when Marvel had the Disney license for a time back in the, I think this was in the, I want to say this was late 80s, early 90s. Let me see if I can find a date on this book. Let's see here. This was... Eh, I'm not finding... Oh, here we are. January 1991. So yeah, early 90s. Uh, 
Marvel had the Disney license and they were they put out amongst other things they put out uh, Walt Disney's Mickey Mouse Adventures. Well, I had known that back in the early run of that series that John Byrne had actually done one of the covers. And it was one of those things where I didn't have it on any written want list or anything, but it was just kind of on, on a mental want list, you know, that, you know, if I ever see this around kind of thing, you know, for cheap, pick it up. And I just happened to find it was two bucks and I picked it up and great little John Byrne cover on there. I like, I just really like it. It's a, it's a, like an Escher house, drawing of mickey standing in the middle of this like pedestal and all these uh the best way to describe it is like a cross between ghosts and shadow demons from crisis on infinite earths are all coming in around him as he stands in this uh very escher house or escher escher painting looking uh depiction here and uh he's got a, a hip little you know late 80s early 90s outfit that he's wearing too but it's it's a great little john byrne piece uh that i think is really cool but uh, that's that's something I'd been wanting to get for a while. But that's really my only new acquisition as far as something I have bought myself. But I have been getting a lot of stuff in the mail lately. And I am very, very behind on doing some uh, shout outs and thank yous for these things. Uh, you know, we've had a string of specials and different episodes lately. We haven't really had like a back to the bins proper, at least not that I've been part of since like Christmas time. So... I'm a little behind on shout-outs and thank-yous, and I just wanted to catch up real quick now. First shout-out is my buddy uh, Mark Comback, who sent me some really cool stuff. This is a funny thing. is uh, So this package comes in the mail, and Mark always illustrates the, the package that he sends to me. And I, I don't know if he does this for you guys when he sends oh, you yeah. stuff. Oh, I, yeah. I cut them out and save them. I have a whole yeah, collection Yeah, I do, too. I do too. This one was awesome. It was uh, Cornelius from Planet of the Apes, and it was a really, <laughs> really cool depiction on there. But this package was huge, and so you know, I, I carefully removed the the outer paper and everything so I could save the picture he had drawn, and then the inner pa- package, essentially the box. It was a pizza box, and my wife was watching me as I unwrapped this, and she's like, "Somebody mailed you a." pizza (laughs) so it was an unused pizza box of course and in this box it was just chock full of all kinds of awesomeness a lot of great vintage disneyland stuff that was really cool Um, i posted a bunch of pictures online and everything a while back uh, but i wanted to talk briefly about the comics that were in there he sent me a black hole uh walt disney's the black hole uh which was a whitman actually i I don't know that I don't think this was Whitman actually. I think this might be actually a reprint. I, now I forget. I know I have one other issue of this. I can't remember. Was it actually published by Whitman or was this a reprint? I'm not sure. But anyway, it's it's the Black Hole number one. Now up till now, the only issue I'd ever had of this was uh, issue three, which is actually a continuation of the movie. So this is actually the beginning of the adaptation. They adapted the entire movie in just two issues, apparently. Uh, But I never had this before, and uh, I think it's really cool. I love the cover on it because it's an actual uh, photo cover of the Cygnus uh, actually, you know, uh, in front of the black hole, which is really cool. And then from back in the 70s, DC, Shazam, number two. This is when uh, Captain Marvel returned, uh, and then he was uh, a DC property. 
And this one also has a great photo cover of a kid holding a comic, like one of those giant oversized books. And the comic book is the same as the photo picture on this. So it's an infinity cover, in other words. Uh, and Captain Marvel is like flying out of the open pages of the book. But it's, it's just a great cover on this. And uh, Shazam is also one of those series that uh, I don't have too many issues of, but uh, I always like picking those up. I'd love to one day have a complete collection of that. So I thought that was really cool. And I wanted to uh, be sure to thank Mark for those. Uh, another shout out I got is to my buddy, Blaine Dollar. Now, back at Christmas time, you guys might remember when uh, I was lamenting the fact, or whining essentially, on Facebook that I wanted to sit down and watch Die Hard because it's my favorite Christmas movie. And I wanted to watch it. And Logan had been wanting to watch it as well. It turns out my son Logan has not ever seen uh, really any of the Die Hard movies, but especially he has not seen the original Die Hard. So we were going to watch it together. And it, I couldn't find it streaming anywhere. HBO didn't have it. It wasn't on Hulu. It wasn't. It was like nowhere to be found to stream it and watch it like on demand for free, and it was making me nuts. So I was on you know Facebook just lamenting this fact, and Blaine saw the post and sent me a PM saying, uh, you know what? I actually have two copies of the Die Hard collection. Somebody actually had sent him like a second copy. He didn't need it. And he's like, if you want it, I'll send it to you. I'm like, that is awesome. So he said, yeah, you know, as soon as I get a chance, I'll send it to you. And then some time went by and I kind of forgot about it. And I ended up getting a message from him saying essentially the same thing. You know, it was the holidays and everything else. And he kind of forgot about it. Uh, and then when he remembered, he, he sent me another message. He's like, hey, geez, you know, I, t I told you I'd send this and I will. And about a week later, I got it in the mail, and this is awesome. So one set is the first four movies, all in Blu-ray. So it's the Die Hard collection. Uh, and then standalone is the extended cut uh, version of uh, A Good Day to Die Hard, the final film. So that one's separate. What's funny, though, is that these come from Canada. So it has both English and French uh, in all of the verbiage on the covers and everything. I just thought that that was really cool. And I am so looking forward to sitting down and watching these uh, with Logan. Uh, I, I'm also looking forward to re-watching uh, that last film as the extended cut because uh, I didn't... I remember... I mean, I liked the fifth one, but I wasn't crazy about it in comparison with the others. But I remember feeling the same way about the fourth film. When I originally saw the fourth film, I thought, man, that was okay, but it wasn't great. And then when the Blu-ray came out, there's an extended version, an unrated version of the fourth film that uh, I'd seen on Blu-ray. And I love that. It's actually one of my favorite of the series. So I'm hoping that maybe this extended cut of the fifth film might shore that movie up for me a little bit. But I'm also looking forward to seeing like whatever you know special features and that sort of thing might be on these discs as well. I'm hoping maybe there's some good documentaries or what. So uh, long story short, I mean... Thank you very much, Blaine, because for one thing, these came from Canada. I know it wasn't cheap to send them over, but also I know that these are not inexpensive you know, in their own right. So that was uh, that was a hell of a thing to uh, to just send right out of the blue you know, for free like that. And I really appreciate that. I thought that that was really awesome. They had and, to be smuggled uh, over the border. <laughs> And I don't know. Uh, I don't know if anybody has claimed any of the diehards yet, Paul. But there you go. There's some. Uh, is it Jaws fodder? <laughs> <laughs> well, the first diehard I already did with Hero. 
That's so right. Yep. That that one's out of the way, but uh, the the next four are available. I would love to do the fourth one because I know you're not real big on the fourth one. I love the fourth one, so I would I would be anxious to talk about that one and maybe try to uh, maybe try to sway your opinion a little bit, but at the very least, just kind of defend it for you know for myself because I, I really enjoy that one. That's uh, fine. You know, I I have felt that I've had a f- kind of a run of movies that I think very very highly of. Which mm-hmm. is fine because I, I love gushing over movies I like, but I don't I don't like it to be so obvious that you know where my rating is going to be. So I like covering some movies that are a little bit more you know iffy. Like where where are we going to go with this one? Right. Uh, so you know, Die Hard Four uh, might really fit that bill because I know I I only saw it once. I wasn't so crazy about it, but I'd have to watch it again and you know look with a critical eye and sit down and talk to you about it. So I'd be interested in doing it. Cool. I uh, wanted to get a couple more shout outs and then I'll, I'll, I'll give the floor. Uh, I wanted to give a huge thank you to John Roman Pecula. Uh, I'm sure you guys saw this, uh, meaning, you know, Paul and Bill, uh, but for the listeners uh, that may not have seen it, uh, look, Disney, uh, Disney Scott. Yes. So I am officially now gotten a, a Disney character. John Roman, it turns out he actually works for Disney uh, in the Netherlands. He actually illustrates uh, a, a Disney strip over there. So it's it's done strip style in a publication. I He was explaining it to me, and I'll be, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, I'm still not 100% how that works versus like American comics. Um, but long story short, he did a, a one-page story that was Goofy going to uh, a comic shop. And he peppered the, the entire scene with, with Chris Honeywell as a character. Mike Bailey was actually the comic shop owner, which was just a trick. Because he it was hysterical. He looks, I mean, we all look just like ourselves. Uh, but, but I really got a kick out of the way Mike was depicted. And then the celebrity uh, appearing uh, at the store was actually George Perez, which was really funny. But we're all Disney-fied, so we're all uh, anthropomorphic uh, animals. And it, it was it's just a hoot. I, I, got, I mean, it, it tickled me so much. Um, I've actually made the, the picture of, my, of myself as the, you know, Disney-fied as now my uh, avatar picture on, uh, on Facebook. Um, yeah, I, I saw I mean, that. Just, that just an incredible honor. <laughs> I, I, I thought your ears actually were that long. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I had no idea that he worked for Disney. Uh, you know, we've been Facebook friends for quite a while now, but I had no idea. Uh, just, I always thought. Just, I may be wrong. I always thought the name, his name, was pronounced Jan. <laughs> is it Jan? I, I remember. You know what? So let us know. That's <laughs> the thing or, is, John I, or Jan. I know that he did the. We went through this a while back, uh, and I think it was here on Bins. We went through this like when we first met him, and he first started corresponding with us uh, and sending emails and stuff. We were like, "Hmm, is it Jan? Is it Jan?" Because it's spelled J A N, so we we really weren't. I think it's sure. Jan because there was a Jan Hammer who did the music for Miami Vice back in right. the day. Right, and I, I and remember having that. I remember thinking that same thing, and I, I, it seems to me that that he ended up sending us a pronunciation guide, and I, I could be dead wrong, but I thought he said it was pronounced like John. I, I, again, 
Uh, if I'm wrong, please write in and please forgive me for not remembering. It's been a while since I've had to say it out loud, but that's how I remembered it in my head anyway. So and if I'm, I'm wrong, please write in and let me know because <laughs> that's the way I always think of it. And lastly, uh, as far as shout outs and thank yous go, um, a name that is going to come up many times during the course of this episode, but I wanted to give a very specific uh, shout out to him, uh, to our buddy Russell Bragg. Uh, he sent me he sent me a CD and I, I got it. And, and I, at first it was funny because he, he didn't he, he just told me he was sending me something, but I didn't know what it was that he was sending. And then when it came, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was a DVD. Uh, and it turned out it was actually a CD. And what it is, is it's the CD for all of the schoolhouse rock songs. Mm. So I had those songs stuck in my head. Junction, folks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that song. So, yeah, I've been playing it in the car on uh, on drives to and from work and just jamming out. I love those things. So thank you very much, Russell. Now, that, was that, that the was original or, or the remakes that they no, did with new it's, artists? No, it's, it's the originals. Because oh, I got one that's the remake with new artists I got way back in the 90s. That I would I would like to hear that, too. I think that'd be cool. But, yeah, yeah. these these were the originals. So, yeah, I was yeah. I was jamming out. That reminds me, Russell sent me for Valentine's Day, which I'm a little suspicious, Russell. You sent me a box of chocolates, a small box of chocolates for Valentine's Day, knowing I'm a diabetic. I think he's trying to get my uh, – he's trying to bump me off. Uh Okay, Luckily, that's, I that's gave my thank my you w- also. Russell also sent me chocolates, but I'm not a diabetic. I gave them to, to my wife as the official, uh, the royal taste test. Honey, try these. Make sure they're good. And why don't you eat them all because I'm diabetic. I really should I got to give them. Russell credit for making me laugh because it was a Russell Stover box of chocolates. Oh, you know, he I didn't get that. Tape, he put a piece of tape over it to make it Russell Bragg. Oh, that's and, Now I... And, I completely. I'm so. Yeah, I, that was lost on me. Okay, and it, and it's actually the one he sent me has a picture of a shark on it. And it says Valentine something Valentine. You're jawsome. <laughs> he, he actually he put a he actually put a poem on it. it. Said roses are red, violets are blue. I like back to the bins, and is it yours too? <laughs> yeah, he. I gotta find my poem. So, yeah, so I give Russell for credit mine. for sending it to me and for making me laugh. And I just, while we, you were talking, Scott, I dug out my, uh, it was right here at the desk, the, the letters that, um, that I saved from, from, from Mark. I got one with a very, uh, a rather large, full-faced version of myself. I'm assuming it's myself. Man, I'm fat. <laughs> There's another one of a robot that looks like he could be from either one of Mark's creations or um, from the black hole. Uh, because he's got very funny. Then there's like an evil Mickey. (laughs) There's like you've seen the one where he does like Mickey, where he's all evilified and like with a mouth of teeth and everything. Right. And uh, that's that's like, and he wrote my name out like my names in big animated letters for Bill Robinson for my address. And then Mickey's like kind of half hidden behind it. And then there's another one that like my whole head takes up the um, the huge head. He's got a huge head, but I kind of look like a like a Japanese samurai in like an old style painting or something. So that's that's the four I had here right at my desk. So you can go back to your back to your kudos, Scott. We kind of hijacked you. Samurai, samurai Bill, samurai Robinson. No, I can't do it. I was I was going to make a joke, but I can't do it. 
No, no, go ahead. I was going to say that the word you're looking for is sumo, not... not Ooh. Oh, sorry. See, yeah. I told you I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that was bad. But that's it. That's that's I'll all I had for shoutouts. <laughs> that's all I had for for shoutouts and thank yous. Thank you to everybody. I I really appreciate that. That was that was very nice and it uh, it has shored up my Christmas season because Christmas. Uh, long story short, Christmas was a rough, rough, rough season this year. So thank you to everybody for for brightening it up for me. I appreciate that. That's what my dog said. Christmas was rough, <laughs> rough, rough. <laughs> Anyways. How was Christmas? Rough. What's on top of the house? Roof. Who's the greatest baseball player in the world? Ruth. <laughs> Maybe I should have said DiMaggio. No. It's another cartoon reference for anybody that gets it. Yeah, I know that one. <laughs> so, top five, eh? <laughs> yes. Sorry oh, we got a that. show to do. This is the, the congratulations and bullshit show. <laughs> well, it's time for the top five. All right. <laughs> Why do I even need the sound clip if we have There that? you go. You don't even need it now. See? We saved you some work. Yeah, I don't have to edit this at all. It's perfect as is. People have no idea how much I edit to make you guys sound bad. I mean good. What? No. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so we're doing top five annuals. We have no criteria other than top five annuals. Oh, wait, wait. That was annuals? Oh, wait, I got to go. I got to make a whole new list. <laughs> <laughs> annuals. I, I've got like Jenna Jameson. Not and, oh, the other oh, Sorry, sorry. Oh, whoops, whoops. Bad, bad Dr. Bill. Bad Bill. <laughs> now... No you, diet Mountain Dew for you. <laughs> now you you had said something about no criteria, but I am very curious as as you do your list, uh, what your what your personal criteria was because I don't think you set any criteria other than annuals. So I'm I'm curious, like what did that mean to each of you as you filled out your list? Well, what I did was I just kind of went back looking through different series. And tried to pick out annuals that were either very epic, as I said, because I think annuals are supposed to be, or two, kind of just was a story I really, really enjoyed. And I have, I think, I think what I have is more epic than just enjoyment, but I enjoyed all of these. So, right. Yeah. See, now I went uh, purely like I didn't pick just epic. I went, did I enjoy it? Did it mean something to me? And, and and not you know because I could have picked Fantastic Four annual what is it two which is the wedding of Sue and Reed but I'm like well that's no I'm not, well well whichever one it is I don't know <laughs> I believe that's annual number is five six okay. five six and anyway I didn't pick that one because I'm like well that's not that's like I wanted something that I had that I enjoyed that I yeah you know, how, do, how do you know that that's not on one of our lists though that before it could you be. disparage it I'm just which, saying which one probably enjoyed the it. wedding of Reed and Sue. Nah. It's not on my list either, but you know, he's 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 so shut up the already. Gun. He's jumping <laughs> the gun, he's mentioning annuals that aren't on his list and he's disparaging them. And what I if they disparage. were on my list? It was crap. It's not on my list. I didn't disparage it because it's sh- I, I, I didn't pick it because it's shit. I didn't, I, I didn't say that. It. 
I didn't say that. I, but I, you, you, I, you, you, you know, you kind of gave a little implication. Oh my God! Stop putting a words. A little bit out of line there. A little bit. A little bit. Oh my God! <laughs> see, see what I got to put up with when you're not around, Scott. <laughs> or when you're around. Or when you're around, sumo boy. <laughs> Yeah, right, so we, we're going to do this round, Robin. We're going to go each give our number five. Yum. Oh, number five. That's right, Robin. And I guess I'll go first unless one of you guys want to. Go ahead. Do it. Do it. Number five on my list was one that I don't think it's like really remembered by a lot of people as being an epic book, but it is kind of epic because it started in one annual, continued into another annual, and then continued into the regular series. So it was a three-issue run. I'm only putting the first part of it on my list, but kind of the whole story was big for me. And it was Fantastic Four Annual number 11 from June of 1976. And in that one... Through a mishap using Dr. Doom's time machine, the, the FF end up going back in time to uh, team up with the invaders. And their actions actually changed history because a thing of vibranium went back in time and allowed the Nazis to win World War II. And they finally recover part of it and they come back and that's the end of the annual. But then the Watcher who's appearing in the book, uh, you know, he is still there and the thing realizes something's wrong and he decides to go back himself so the annual actually continues into Marvel 2 and 1 annual number 1 where the thing teams up with the Liberty Legion and then that continues into Marvel 2 and 1 number 20 where he teams up again with the Liberty Legion but there's a lot of good moments in this one because for whatever reason with the time travel they don't have any memory of the the invaders don't know the Fantastic Four and yet the Submariner still hits on Sue and there's a you know, just a couple of good things in there, and we have Baron Zemo with the uh, with the glue getting the mask stuck on himself, and <laughs> just like I said, a very enjoyable book for me. I'm not sure if either of you guys were familiar with this one at all. I have all three of the issues that you mentioned, so I have this entire uh, storyline. I don't know that I've ever read it, so you've just given me something to. Uh to go ahead and, and read because, you know, speaking of the Patriot, there he is, large and in charge on Marvel 2 and 1 annual number one uh, with Thing in the Liberty Legion. So, yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll need to read this. That, that nice, sounds really nice cool. Little moment, nice little moment in one of them when, uh, I, I don't I think it's in the FF annual, not in the Marvel 2 and 1, but when they're back in time, they run into little boy Johnny Romita. Aww. <laughs> Well, see, it's funny because as I was looking through my annual, you know, cover images, of course, but just, you know, looking through the annuals today to populate my list, I remember pausing briefly at this one, Fantastic Four annual number eleven, and going, "I have this because it does not look familiar at all." So it must be something I got, you know, at some point and and just you know stuck it in a box and never read it. Either that. Or my, maybe my cover, my copy is coverless because this cover was just like. You know, obviously, I, I must have seen it before because I populated this, you know, this folder of images. But I'm looking at this going, I've never seen this before. And it's it's just gorgeous. I love the cover. It's great with the Human Torch versus the Human Torch uh, at the top. I love that. That's really cool. Yeah, that's a, it's got a Jack Kirby cover on the first part. Again, uh, the first part is the one that made my list. The continuation is just, you know, by by connection. But it's not really, you know, I'm only putting one book on my list. <laughs> Bill, do you know this one? 
Um, no, I haven't read that either. But it does sound something. Sounds like something I'd like to look at. Now, um, who did I mean, the? I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. I, I was just going to ask who did the interiors on that. John Buscema. Buscema. Written by Roy Thomas, and you know Roy's love for the the Golden Age characters. Right. Right. I'm going to have to seek this out. That sounds, uh, or I mean, not seek it out, but I'll dig it out rather. That that sounds really cool. I am not yeah, familiar was, with this one. A, you know, it was a fun issue. And it's, you know, it's kind of told in an Elseworlds type way because they go back and the history has changed and everything. So you get a little bit of Terminator time travel conundrum going on there. And it, like I said, it was just generally a fun issue as far as I was concerned. Now, do, does it stick or is it one of those things where when it's all done, it's like, Per Degaton, where you know, it never <laughs> actually goes back to the way it was. Uh, okay, and I and I think I think they even say, if I remember right, uh, I think they even say during the issue, oh, when we're gone, they won't even remember that we were here. Ah, so it's definitely got a Per Degaton <laughs> feel about it, as far as that goes. <laughs> you can go ahead and do whatever you want; they're not going to remember you. The only one that remembered was little Johnny Ramita. <laughs> All right, so who's who else has got a number five? Uh, I'll jump in. I it's gonna make a big splash. Spruce, Captain Sumo. I have surprise, surprise, Action Comics Annual number eleven from July of two thousand eight, and it was the culmination uh, or the end of the Last Sun storyline with uh, when the it was when Richard Donner had teamed up with Jeff Johns and they wrote their little side story in oh, the yeah, Superman I, mythos. I that. Yeah. And, and, and it was where they basically, um, it came down to, um, to where they had the Phantom Zone. Um, they, uh, uh, Superman had to team up with Luther to try to defeat the Phantom Zone, um, um, villains. And like, they kind of, created a way to like suck anybody that had been in the phantom zone back into it. And, um, um, Zod's son, who what was his, uh, the Chris, right? Chris. Kent? Yeah. But yeah, he was lore. Zod was his name, but yeah, Chris Kent, he ends up sacrificing himself and goes it, so that, um, you know, Clark doesn't get sucked back in there and it closes up. And then, um, Clark then later at the end talks to Monel, uh, who's trapped in there with him, you know, and saying that Monel will keep looking for Chris somewhere in there. So that was a uh, surprise, surprise. I came up with a DC comic, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, Adam Kubert did the art on this. Um, so, 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 Paul, you said you read this. How about yeah, you, I Scott? Particularly enjoying yep. that storyline, and I. I I even I have the hardcover on that also. I, I enjoyed that storyline a lot. Oh, yeah, because I was in the regular. That was what was that? Was that about four or five issues in the regular series? And then it it took forever for them to finish up the storyline, and it yeah, they finally exactly. brought it out out in the annual. Yeah, and then I was when I was at uh, New York Comic Con one time. They had the, uh, you know, one one of the booths where they had all hardcovers of a bunch of stuff, and it was like you know. I think it was five for twenty-five dollars, something like that, and that's one of the ones oh, I picked wow. up. Oh wow! Yeah. So, yep. That is my pick. Well, you were making me nervous, Bill, because my number five is also an Action Comics <laughs> annual, and I was like, 
please don't say it. Please don't say it. So, <laughs> I, but mine is a different issue. Uh, mine is Action Comics Annual Number Four, and Action Comics Annual Number Four was part of the uh, Eclipso Within crossover, uh, or it was actually called Eclipso: The Darkness Within. Uh, the reason I chose this particular book is just because in as part of this, it, what it was was this Eclipso. The Darkness Within it was a, I believe, two-issue miniseries. Each of them was it was a huge book. Uh, I, I think they were like 80 pages or, or something to that effect, the actual issues of Eclipso proper. But in between issue one and issue two, the storyline went through just about all of the DC annuals of the time. The story itself is, eh, it's, it's okay. But the reason that I picked number four was that in number four, Superman gets eclipsed. So Eclipso takes over Superman. And it's it's a really cool visual because Superman has the, you know, the the I was gonna say half moon, but it's really like a like a three-quarter moon on his face. So you know yeah, exactly. He has like the moon pie face and everything. And then his costume slightly changes. It darkens up and it looks very similar to uh, the costume that Chris Reeve has in Superman 3 where he's, you know, the evil <laughs> Superman. And so Superman, for all intents and purposes, is is kind of dead. Uh, or at least, you know, his his personality is, is lost because uh, Eclipso completely takes over his body. So there really is no Superman. It's it's Eclipso controlling the body. And to try to rein him in from this, you know, swath of destruction that he's, you know, this, you know, just this rampage that he goes on using Superman's body, they bring in the person that they figure has the best chance of standing up to Superman, Captain Marvel. I am always a sucker for a Superman Captain Marvel tussle and this is one of the best ones ever. So, I, I, but I would need to preface that with one thing, which is if you seek this out on my recommendation, keep in mind, if you've never read this before, the art's not that great. Uh, it's uh, it's written by Don Vado, uh, pencilers Chris Wozniak, and then uh, there are four inkers uh, associated with it. Carl Allstater, uh, Trevor Scott, Carl K- uh, Kessel or Kiesel, uh, and Steve Mitchell. I don't know... If it's Wozniak, I don't know if it's the four inkers. I'm not sure what it is, but the book is very uneven. It goes from uh, very ugly and and just not visually appealing in some instances and some really wonky and bizarre anatomy to beautiful, sometimes panel to panel. And it, so it's a very disjointed read in the art, but... The story is where it's at, and some of the art is good. Some, you know, for the most part, in the actual tussle and the actual fight part of the issue, it's good stuff. And this is, to my recollection, this is the best Cap and Superman tussle that there is because they just beat the shit out of each other. It's mostly Superman beating the shit out of Captain Marvel, who's holding back. Uh, but eventually Marvel does get a little tired of being just Superman's punching bag and he gives as good as he gets. So it, it is a really good one. I like this one a lot. 
this was on sale uh, July 7th, 1992, according to Mike's Amazing World. Uh, interesting note, the cover on it was actually uh, penciled by Joe Quesada and inked by Jimmy Palmiotti. Uh, one of the things that was interesting to me to note was how many of these annuals that are on my list we've actually covered on shows. This one here was not covered on Back to the Bins, but it was actually covered on uh, Mike Bailey's uh, show from Crisis to Crisis, episode 112. And I actually guested on that episode to talk about uh, this storyline and this uh, annual in particular. Sadly, this book has never been reprinted. Well, while you're talking about it, I've been paging through it. And uh, yeah, the artwork is very... It's very uneven. Yeah, that uh, is just there's, it. It's it suffers from like what we you know we talked. I think uh, I don't know if it was last episode or one before that or whenever. But we we talked recently where I said, oh, that book is like what was good about the '90s. This book, the artwork is what's bad. About the <laughs> right. 90s. Yeah. It it you know, very much some has, of, some of the anatomy is ridiculous. Yeah, that that opening. I think it's the credits page where Superman is flying away from the Justice League and, like, towards yeah. us, that's a yeah, horrible, horrible piece of art. But, again, later on in the book, when, when it's he and Cap tussling, I think some of that depiction is actually pretty damn good. So it, it, it is very uneven art-wise. But story-wise, I, I, I think it's really good. So, yeah, that was, that was my number five. What about you, Bill? Are you familiar with this one? I'm familiar with the Eclipso character, but not that particular annual. Um, so I, yeah, so I don't know if I've read, I mean, I've read some stuff with Eclipso, but I want to think it's later on in the DCU and not in this time frame. I do like the cover a lot. I think it's kind of cool because Superman is drawn very, kind of seriously whereas captain mm -hmm. marvel is still drawn in in kind of a cartoony style right at least his face is yeah and, and and it it doesn't jump out at you as being bad because of that it the you know the the lack of consistency is actually okay in this particular instance which is not necessarily what i would expect if you described it to me that way uh but it, it looks it looks good it looks dynamic it's got a real nice cover i think yeah i love the cover I'm pretty sure that you can sna snag this one for fifty cents if you find it out there in uh, you know in the cheap bins. I, I'm pretty sure I've seen it out there. I don't think any of the uh, the action annuals, the early action annuals, uh, price for anything at all. So I'm, I'm sure you could have this one cheap. And it's if you see it out there, it's well worth picking up for fifty cents. Yeah, especially it's a two dollar savings off the cover price. Right. <laughs> so I guess we'll move down to number four. Number four on my list is Journey into Mystery Annual Number One, which uh, I did not read when it came out in 1965. Uh, this was one of the ones that I picked up or I read. I don't remember if I read it in a uh, reprint or in the original. I, I really don't have any memory of where I read it. But uh, when I was getting into comics, getting into Marvel comics and trying to you know research their history and go through things... This is the first appearance of Hercules in the Marvel Universe. Hercules, Hercules. And, and uh, naturally they tussle, the two of them, him and Thor. And I was looking at, I think it was Marvel Comics database. And in the synopsis there, they say, you know, 
Thor throws his hammer at Hercules, and Hercules actually catches it and throws it back. And I thought, wow, that's something I got to see because I don't remember that. And that doesn't happen. <laughs> he he throws the <laughs> hammer and Hercules kind of grabs it, and then he's like, you know, what magic is this that it's pulling away from me? You know, he doesn't throw it back. It, it's it's the uh, you know the enchantment that makes it return to Thor. So that wasn't exactly very accurate, but it's the first appearance of Hercules and the first appearance of the Olympians because Zeus also appears in it, and uh, just you know your your, your typical. Uh, 1960s clash of, of heroes it's Jack Kirby illustrations and it was when I think around 1965 is where Kirby really started to hit his stride uh, you know where he stopped drawing in the more or less style of comic books that had gone before and really started stretching his own artistic uh, boundaries and creating a house style for years to come so this this was you know where Kirby really was getting you know not just being creative but also just drawing beautiful pictures. So that's number four on my list. I don't know if either of you have ever read this one. No, is this no, the one where? Is this the one where Thor is out for a stroll and he essentially fa- falls down a hole and winds up in in Olympus? <laughs> I think that is <laughs> maybe actually a an hole. The god of thunder falls in a hole. <laughs> Behold the god who falls. <laughs> I am Thorak. Because I remember a story where where he goes down a, a hole, winds up in, in Olympus, fights Hercules, and then at the end, I can't remember why, but like the 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 hole caves in or whatever, sealing it off forever. And he's like, "Well, I hope I I hope I get to see my buddy Hercules again one day or something like that." That's how I remember it anyway. I don't. Is it the same story? Is that the one we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. It, it is. That, it is a good <laughs> and, story, and and it doesn't take very long because then, right about the point when it turns from journey into mystery to Thor, uh, they meet again. Right, you know, and it, it's just an ongoing storyline. I think it started in Journey into Mystery one twenty five, and it goes over to Thor number one twenty six. So it was like right when the series was changing. Right, and that was in nineteen sixty six. This was the nineteen sixty five annual. So it didn't take too long for them to realize, hey, you know what, we like this Hercules character. Let's bring him back. Uh, and and to me, the way they had uh, her, the way they had Aquaman on the uh, Brave and the Bold TV series is always the way I picture Hercules. <laughs> mm-hmm. I always th- I always think that's not Aquaman, that's Hercules. Right, come friend, outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, Did you ever see this one, Bill? No, no, I, I, I have never, I'm not seen that one. I'm sure I'm going to punch it up while we're talking about it because I'm sure it's been reprinted on numerous occasions. Oh, undoubtedly. I'd like to give that to our listeners because I think it's worth a worthwhile read. It's just kind of fun. Uh, come on. Journey into Mystery. The 1952 series. I'm actually on Comic Book Database. All apologies to Michael. I am sure that this has been reprinted, but the thing I'm looking at does not talk about that. So I don't. This is reprinted in Essential Thor Volume 2, Giant Size Thor 1975, Giant Size Thor Number 1 from 1975, Marvel Masterworks Number 30, Marvel Masterworks The Mighty Thor. Volume 3, uh, the Epic Collection, 
Trade Paperback Volume 2, Thor Omnibus. Thor vs. Hercules Trade Paperback. And Thor Tales of Asgard from 2009. Hmm. Number, number three. So it's been reprinted numerous times. Yeah. So it should be available to anybody who's really seeking it out. What's funny is that the title in this is When, when Titans Clash. And I remember when the old 60s cartoons started coming out on video. And the the title of the Thor cassette that came out, you know, the VHS that came out was called When Titans Clash. And it was a fight between Thor and Herc. But I'm pretty sure it's from that second story that you talked about where, right. where Th- Hercules actually comes to Earth. Because that's the one, the one I, where he like signs a movie contract. With Pluto. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know if they went into all that is the one, but I don't know if they went into all that in that episode. It seems to me they pared it down to essentially being Herc comes to Earth, he moves the tree for the train, and somehow winds up in New York, and Jane Foster's being a bitch because Thor's been running off to, you know, rescue the universe and everything. So she makes eyes at Hercules and Thor gets all pissed off, and that's what leads to the tussle. And it's one of my favorite comic book tussles because that's the one that I always say where the goddamn cops because they trash New York and you never see cop one show up to be like, all right, break it up. You two. I mean, you've got these two Titans that are just laying waste to everything around them and nobody calls in the national guard or anything and I, I think at the end of it, if I'm not mistaken, I think Herc takes Thor down, I believe. Yeah, he does, because that's when Odin does something. Odin does, like, right in the middle of the fight, Odin reduces Thor's power by half or something like that. Wait, wait Odin and, and, does something? No, he wasn't asleep? <laughs> Odin sleep. Tired but yeah, sleep. That, is, that is a great story, too. Good, good stuff. Odin sleep. I remember in a later issue where, you know, because Odin's everything's named after Odin. I think uh, Loki steals like the Odin ring, and he gets like Odin powers. From, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Odin's, yeah, that was... Odin, he's in charge of Asgard, so he he sends Odin to bed to the Odin sleep. So Odin's got to put one of those big fluffy pajamas and go to bed. <laughs> Bring me the Odin teddy. <laughs> uh, Tom Tom Harris just covered that story on his show. On Did he really? um, Radio Free Asgard, yeah, because he was like uh, Odin's in in his race car bed or whatever. And <laughs> he's his little Odin onesie, and you know. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to listen to that because I friggin' love that story. And I just I just picture Odin going to bed and being like. <laughs> <laughs> the next time I'm on the can and the roll runs out, I'm gonna holler into the next room, "Honey, bring me the Odin paper." <laughs> <laughs> The, but it's like he steals the Odin ring, the Odin sword. This this Odin everything. It's, <laughs> he goes around and labels everything. It's like 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 the current day and age. Everything's sponsored. It's time for the Odin break. <laughs> okay, what do we got as number four, Bill? I have for number four on my list is Fantastic Four annual. Number seventeen, which this? <gasps> oh, what is that on yours? No, I know this one. I think is this the well, one yeah, with this, the? 
I'll yes. let you I'll let you reveal it, but I think I, I well, think one, I know the one. It's a John Byrne cover, and you have the team. But this this was the year of the shit annuals, 1983, I guess, <laughs> where they all just had the name and then annual, and it had a big black border, and then there was just a square picture. This is this is the same year when the Marvel Star Wars Annual Three came out with just a picture of Vader sitting in in a big black square. Oh yes, so, yep, yes. So this this is the year I you know this they they all had the same cover dress, and I, I it just sucks. But, I never yeah. put that together. Before, I, I do. Re- right. I do remember yeah. that cover dress. It did. That did suck. That year. Yeah. So, but uh, this one by John Byrne was harkening back all the way to Fantastic Four number two. Yes. And basically, you have one of Johnny Storm's, uh, not his girlfriend, but uh, a friend of a friend, and she's traveling through Oklahoma, and she Oklahoma where the scroll cows come sweeping down the plains. <laughs> And she stops in a town, and a lot of strange shit starts happening, and everybody's trying to force milk on her, but she's got a uh, uh, allergy <laughs> to it. Intolerant. Yeah, yeah, she's <laughs> scroll lactose milk intolerant, and like a little boy's following her, and he turns into a dog. A lot of weird <laughs> stuffs happening in this. In this, are you, so, you not of the body? <laughs> yes. Festival, festival. <laughs> so basically. What had happened was this is the town to where back in Fantastic Four number two, Reed had hypnotized hypnotized three of the scrolls that were um, posing as the Fantastic Four. The other one he let them he let him get away and go back to the Scroll Empire or whatever. So, but and these that, three well that comes up in uh, the Kree Scroll War. Yes, that particular but these three cows. Condition stayed there and the townspeople started to drink their milk and basically the scroll DNA got invasive in them took them over and um, the the Fantastic Four comes after um, the girl that calls Johnny is uh, I believe it's Sharon she 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 calls leaves a message for Johnny they show up there in disguise figure out what's going on and you know stop the scrolls but like <laughs> there's there's a there's like that that like stinger at the end of the episode to where you know, oh yeah we saved everybody and yeah you've lost six years of your life but everything will get back to normal now but they were un- she calls and leaves a message I'm just uh, imagining the what was the robot receptionist it was it was the to the Baxter robot building. receptionist yeah, yeah. She's like, she answers the phone and she's like if your town is experiencing scroll cows press three. Three, 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 three. <laughs> Come on, pick up. <laughs> but the, but um, there was a shipment of scroll milk that was delivered to a nearby <laughs> U.S. Army depot, and that was like the last shot of the comic. So, yeah, there's some co- continuity stuff here that I'm reading for for the entry that that talks about uh, that these scrolls did did pop back up. They didn't, so it. It's a little screwy with the continuity, but but um, but yeah, this was uh, yeah, this is a, I I love this story. So it's a good uh, one. This is a good this, one. This, well, it's the same premise that they eventually did, and I think it was Grant Morrison did with the Scroll Kill Crew, and I think they were people who ate I think steaks from those cows. Yes, eventually yes. They stopped making milk, and they got those powers, and but they were like a scroll, an anti-scroll team. Yeah, this is a story. Uh, they were killed at the end of the uh, as explained. It's, these scrolls were forced back into their cow forms and were accidentally sent off to slaughter. <laughs> Whoops. Their beef ended up being sold commercially. Oops. 
Oh, and it also says uh, Scroll Kill Crew Volume 2 Number 1 also states that those Scroll cows were allowed to breed with normal cows, creating Scroll cow hybrids. Ooh. Moo. Ooh. No. That is my number four. Yeah, that's, that's a good choice. It's that is a good one. One that I had particularly remembered, but I'm like kind of looking over some stuff to find. And I, you know, first of all, anything in the John Byrne era is I'm pretty much on board for, especially, you know, with, well, I leave it at that. I don't have to go with especially because there's so many series that I enjoy. Uh, I, I love his Fantastic Four stuff. And, you know, this was, this was not, you know, much, much like, uh, I think my first issue, it, it's not one that you're going to have like a long-term memory that it had a huge impact on the Marvel universe, No, but it's just a, just a good story. Well, when I was flipping through the annuals, I, I was looking at them, looking at them and I'm like, I'm like, oh man, this, I had to dig in cause I'm like, yeah, this coverage sucks. What was it in, in, in this annual? And then I'm like, oh my God, this is that story. Yeah. This is a, I'm like, oh, this duh. I want to pick this one. <laughs> Now, this is reprinted in Fantastic Four Visionaries Volume 3 trade paperback. The only thing, I'm on Mike's Amazing World, and that's the only thing I see where it's reprinted. Nice. What do you got at number four, Scott? All right, number four. This one, uh, this one, we might have a little bit of disagreement here, because as I recall, I think you're not a fan of this one, Paul. I could be wrong. I don't want to speak for you, but here we go. Marvel. Two in one annual number seven. This is the one where the champion, one of the uh, elders of the universe, comes to Earth. And basically, the champion is an immortal who lives for sports. And he comes to Earth and he selects the most powerful beings on the planet to step into the ring with him and, uh, and see how many rounds that they can go against him. And he selects uh, all the powerhouses, really. He has the Hulk, uh, Thor, Colossus, Wonder Man, Sasquatch, and, of course, the star of the book, The Thing. And he... The, the, my only real qualm with this book is there's a couple of them that he uh, disqualifies. He disqualifies the Hulk because he considers him just a mindless animal. And I'm thinking, ah, okay... And then he disqualifies Thor because Thor, this was at a time when Thor couldn't be out of direct contact with his hammer for more than 60 seconds before he would turn back into Don Blake. I also kind of call a little bit of bullshit on that one. But when you get to the actual fights in here, it's pretty epic because he just beats the tar out of everybody he fights, including Ben. But Ben goes the longest of any of the other beings that the champion fights. Of course, the champion does win, but... The thing, uh, you know, it's it's very much a rocky scenario because he goes, you know, as, as long and as and as much as he can, uh, and it's and it's pretty. I, I think it's pretty epic. I really like this one. I've always been a big fan of this one. Um, this one was released June twenty second, nineteen eighty two. I have very fond memories of buying it directly off the rack, and uh, Chris Honeywell and I read it many many times together. Uh, written by Tom DeFalco, penciler was Ron Wilson, inker was Bob Camp. And this has been reprinted. It was actually reprinted in a trade paperback called Marvel's Greatest Super Battles from 1994. I dig the hell out of this one. I don't have this, but the reason I chuckled when you first mentioned the champions, because I don't know, did you ever watch the Dexter's Lab 
cartoon when, when, when it was on? I remember it, but... Do you, I, I, do you remember the monkey, the super monkey? No. There was a short, because it was usually they'd have a Dexter cartoon, one in the middle, and then like another Dexter, or, or they would just have the second one. And they did one with the monkey, and there was there was a guy who was just like the champion who came to the Earth to fight all... But they the voice they gave him was... Um, was... Uh, uh, macho man Randy Savage he's like oh I am the champion <laughs> and he's fighting the monkey and he's like oh you were a puny monkey go away because oh. <laughs> hilar- the monkey ends up beating him oh, that's or, or it's like he's so he, he's oh I've not seen just bravery a little monkey uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, so that's that's why I chuckled because that's every time I hear the champion I just picture macho man as the champion <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, the thing. I will beat you, you rock like beast. <laughs> snap into a slim gym. Yeah, snap into the champion. Oh yeah. <laughs> I uh I, I remember this one and I, I don't remember I honestly don't remember us discussing this, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. <clears throat> it's not it's not high on my list, but I didn't I didn't think it was terrible. I just thought it was, you know, a little silly. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, but but that that doesn't disqualify it from you know that doesn't make me hate it. It's just you know the, the whole idea of this guy you know out there boxing with people. I don't know. It just seemed a little silly to me. But uh, and the artwork to me, I, I didn't love the artwork. I've never been but, the biggest fan of Ron Wilson. He's he's very workmanlike. I don't think he's a bad artist, but I, I don't think he's terribly dynamic either. He's he's Al Milgram like to me. Yeah, I, I'm perfectly willing to admit that in this case, this this is probably a lot of nostalgia talking. But I do find that uh, most people that you know, again, right around our age or whatever, that remember this one, remember it very fondly. So I, I know there's something to be said for that. I tried to find if we ever discussed this in an episode, and I think if we did. It was either on Comics Monthly Monday or we discussed it kind of offhand without actually covering the book. But I don't think we ever talked, you know, we ever like did coverage on it on Back to the Bins, possibly on uh, Comics Monthly Monday, possibly as something Chris Honeywell selected. I don't I really don't know. Um, It seems like we have talked about it at some point, but I just couldn't find where that was if if that, you know, is in fact the truth. Well, but you aren't too far off. It's not, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't love it. But like I said, it's, I don't think it's terrible. I enjoyed reading it. Cool. And I, and I bought it new off the stands as well. So we've <laughs> gone two rounds and we've had no duplications yet, huh? Nice. Not yet. Mm, okay. Round see three. How, see see if, we, if we get through this without any. Who knows? <laughs> number three on my list is Spider-Man Annual number one from 1964, where <laughs> they pinned... They pit Spider-Man up against the Sinister Six of Doc Ock, Mysterio, Electro, Kraven, the Vulture, and the Sandman. But instead of them just overwhelming him with their superior numbers and just, you know, killing him or beating him senseless or whatever, they decide to fight him one at a time and make it a gauntlet that he has to run. Uh, It's kind of a story that's been told many times, but to my knowledge, this is the first time it was told. So I give it credit for pioneering that. Uh, and it was done in a, in a 
you know, a good way. I, I, I love Steve Ditko's Spider-Man work. We've we've talked back and forth on that. John Romita is my Spider-Man artist of all time, but I do love the uh, early Ditko years. And each supervillain battle has a splash page mm-hmm. of the battle in it. And I just think it's spectacular that way. And it's the first time they ever did this, and I just really enjoyed the heck out of it. And I read it. You know, back then, not back then, back not back in 1964, but again, I think this was reprinted in annual number six. Yes, it was. Say, and uh, it was the same story, but it had a John Romita cover on it. And you know the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, those those wood, uh, those wood comic book covers that they sell. The, the oh, yeah. slight oh, yeah. the blow-ups and everything. I have that down in the basement. Uh, the the reprint one from Marvel, Marvel Annual number 6. And what it is, is it's my I have one cover by each of my three all-time favorite comic artists. John Romita did the, re, the cover on the reprint that I have hanging up down there. And then I also have uh, Captain America number one, 100, which is by Jack Kirby, the cover. And then I have, I don't remember what number it is, the Superman... Uh, when they when they did the Kryptonite No More story and like they covered by Neil Adams one thirty three I th- I want to say something like that the one the one that Neil Adams hates but everybody else loves really he doesn't like that he he does not like that wow he he, he does not look back fondly on that cover that he drew but I think that's one of the most iconic things. things he ever drew yep wow but but I have those three covers down you know all. Hanging up next to each other, and it's my three all-time favorite comic artists. So, uh, but this this was just to me this was a great issue. And two thirty-three, not one. Was two thirty-three? I said one thirty-three, but it was two thirty-three. Yeah, that's okay. There you go. But uh, I'm sure you guys have read this at some time or another. Oh yeah, it's it's been a long time since I read it, but yeah. All right, thanks for the commentary. Moving on. My, my, <laughs> my top honorable mention, uh, my very first one on my honorable mention list was uh, Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 6 because I have never owned uh, ASM Annual Number 1. But somewhere in my collection, I have a coverless, torn, tattered, and very well-loved copy of ASM Annual Number 6 uh, that I have had since I was just a tyke and I love that issue and wanted so badly to put it on my list of the five. And I'm not really sure why I didn't other than I, I think I was a little embarrassed that it was a reprint that I don't have the original one. And also I was, I, I kept thinking that it might've just been nostalgia talking but I, I I totally agree with you. I love that story. And I love how in each of the villain fights, as you say, there's that one like glorious full page splash of Spidey battling whichever different villain it is in those segments. And each one of those splash pages is like poster worthy. I mean, they're just they're beautiful. And I remember a lot of those images being in um, early promotional art that that i remember you know from like in my childhood of spider-man with you know again whichever villain it was that he was fighting in that story because you had some really good uh villains you had like what was it the vulture and doc ock 
the lizard. Mysterio. Mysterio. No, not, not lizard. Doc Ock, Mysterio. I wrote it down because I wanted to remember. Doc Ock, Mysterio. Craven. Electro, Craven, the Vulture, and Sandman. Right, right. Yeah, I always like the Sandman one. Where lizard like, wasn't really a team player. Right, yeah. Well, that's true. I don't remember what was there because, like, like the like they even say in the story, like, oh, we've almost beaten them individually. Like, if we team it's up, like, it's like Lex Luthor teaming teaming over Brainiac. But together we'll be unbeatable. Then why don't they fight them all at one time? That's what I because because that would be smart. <laughs> Dumb villains. Yeah, I don't I don't know if they give them an actual motivation to fight them individually. I, I don't remember that. I, I I didn't have time to reread all of these, unfortunately. Right. But uh, I, I yeah, I, they do it make it a run the gauntlet thing, and I think the logic is, well, we're going to tire him out, and even if he survives the one, you know, he'll be that much more tired when he fights the next one, and he's not going to be able to get by that one. Hey, it worked for Bane, right? When he beat Batman, because <laughs> then they tire him out. Then they should have just snapped his neck, his back. Snapped his back. What do you got at number three, Bill? I have another DC entry at number three for me, and that is Tales of the Teen Titans, annual number three, The Judas Contract, book four finale. Mm-hmm. And this Good is choice. this is where um, there's been a mole in the Teen Titans, and it ended up being Terra, who's the sister of Geoforce from Batman and the Outsiders. And... Um, Changeling had a thing for her, and he can't believe that she's turned against them. And she ends up going wacko with her powers, and actually ends up ends up killing herself. And uh, it's it's you know it's 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 a nice story that that, that wraps up. A, 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 it was a, a the first three chapters are in the book proper, um, and it's it's this this was you know George George, George Perez. I mean, just right at, at I that I, I feel at his height. Of um, his his work, and the I mean I just can't gush enough about it. You know, it, it's, we we knew we knew she was evil once we saw her smoke a cigarette. Oh yeah, that was that's right. That was the other thing. You know, oh, she's smoking a cigarette. And I think they're, it was they're finally doing the uh, the what you call it, the animated version of that that they've been talking about doing for years. I understand that's the next DC release. Mm-hmm. Yes. I just hope they do it in a serious animation style, not in that manga crap that they that they do in oh. Teen Titans Go. Yeah, that, well, that just the, wouldn't the work. Original, the original Teen Titans cartoon, not the original because the original was filmation, but the the Teen the Teen Titans cartoon based on this series uh, before Teen Titans Go did do the storyline, and. That animation did get a little cartoony at times, but I thought that was a very good series. Uh, and if you if you watched it, there were funny moments, but there were also some serious moments, including when they did this particular storyline. And I thought they I thought they fa- did fairly did it justice for a Cartoon Network you know TV series, probably aimed at twelve or thirteen year olds. Well, I think it was in. I want to say in this. Uh storyline also was where Jericho I can't remember where and he was revealed to be one of um, Wilson's sons Deathstroke's? Yeah, Deathstroke's sons because the other son of, of Deathstroke was, well I mean this isn't a Teen Titans podcast but he was eliminated early, early on in the series 
Yeah, issue number two. Yeah. If we had Tom Panarese on, he'd be able to give us the whole history there. Oh, yeah. yeah. And this is reprinted in, I looked this up while we were jibber-jabbering. Oh, I, oh, my God, where is it? Oh, lots of places. It's reprinted in the New Teen Titans, the Judas Contract trade paperback. And apparently there's an omnibus. I didn't know there was a New Teen Titans omnibus. Volume number two, hardcover. I wouldn't mind looking around for that. I bet it's probably super expensive now. Because I missed a boat on it. So, well, omnibuses are generally super expensive. Omnibu- well, yeah, but sometimes they're, yeah, but then they get like super crazy. So, you know, if they become hard to get. So, but yep, that's my, uh, that's my numero three. Oh, no duplicates yet. No duplicates. Nice. Yeah. I'm loving that. I'm loving it that there's what no. What you duplicates. got, Scott? All right. I have got for my number three. This is one that I thought of early on when making my list. And then I almost discarded it thinking this has got to be nostalgia talking. But I dug it out and I re I actually reread it. I, that's how sucked in I got because I intended to just flip through it and then I ended up reading rereading the whole thing. And damned if it doesn't hold up, it is still a great, great issue. This is Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man King Size Annual Number Three, featuring the startling final fate of Man Wolf. Uh, this one is written by David Anthony Kraft, the penciler. And there's actually two pencilers credited on this issue. They are both under far, far underrated masters. Uh, you got James T. Sherman and Alan Weiss, two of my favorites that are just super obscure and way underappreciated artists. Uh, inked by Steve Mitchell, which is not a name I'm terribly familiar with. This is a great story. Um, Although the character would continue to exist and occasionally be used in the Marvel Universe, to my mind, this is is just what it says on the cover. This is the final fate of the man-wolf. Beyond this point, I think they should have just left the character alone. I'm fine with John Jameson still being around in the the Marvel U, but I thought that this was a great way to finally resolve the whole man-wolf story. I'm really not going to say too much about it. I just want people to seek it out because, like I said, I was amazed by how well this holds up. This is just a damn good story. And what I really liked about it is that uh, J. Jonah Jameson is actually very well written in this story. He has some real pathos in this. He is torn apart by his son's dilemma. And there's some really, really good moments between him and John and also between him and Spider-Man. And there's a great confrontation with Spider-Man where he really just has enough of Jonah's shit and at one point gets right in his face. And he basically is like, look, damn it, I have been putting my life on the line for this kid. You need to back off. And I love that moment of confrontation between them. And uh, But as I say, I, I'm not going to say too much about it because uh, I, I really just want people to seek this out. Really, really good story. And uh, I was surprised to find it has been reprinted. It was... Uh, Reprinted in Essential Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, uh, Volume 3 trade paperback back in 2007. Have you guys, Does that cover Michael Golden? Uh, I don't. No, it's uh, Alan Weiss and Joe Rubenstein. The cover is? Yeah. Wow. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I yeah, love the cover. Esque. Love the cover. The only, th- the only problem I have with the cover is, it might be just the image I'm looking at here, but it looks like Jonah has... Like regular, like 
regular people hair, like, you know, with a, like a part in the side and everything. And of course he does not, he has that, you know, the, the brush cut that he always gets, but that's a minor. He's, he's also, he's also wearing, you know, a, a uh, pants and a vest from a three piece suit. But in, but if you, at a glance, it looks like he's wearing a pair of overalls. Yeah. It does kind of look like that. <laughs> kind of looks like cousin Jay Jonah. Yeah. Holy, it's the man wolf. I don't know whatever happened to Alan Weiss, but, uh, I, I don't think I've ever seen a book of his that I didn't love as far as the art. He's just, he's not one of those names that comes up very often. A lot of people probably don't even know who the hell he is, but any, anything I've ever seen by him, I love the guy and I don't know why he wasn't bigger. Just a, just a phenomenal artist. I, I've always been a big fan of his, but yeah, this, I was so happy to find out that this issue holds up this. I might be bringing this one to the show in the near future. Cause I'm pretty sure we've never discussed this one uh, in depth on an episode. I'm pretty sure you're correct. Good book. So yeah, that would be a good one to to bring out one time. Cool. All right. Still no overlap yet. Nice. So at number two on my list is Fantastic Four Annual. It's my second Fantastic Four Annual on my <laughs> list. Number two. Now Bill earlier when he started talking about uh, the Wedding of Reed and Sue. First, he mentioned Fantastic Four Annual number two. So that was why I actually got a little defensive. I was like, hey, why are you saying it's no good? I was, no, thinking, uh, I was thinking number two was the... What is the wedding? Is that number three? I, no, I believe it's number five. Oh, wow. What is number two? Number two is the origin of Doctor Doom. Ooh. Which I found to be a very groundbreaking issue because... To my knowledge, this is the first time they really did a story that was totally from the villain's point of view. You know, they gave his history, his origin, they gave him motivation, they gave him, you know, character depth. They they did a lot there. I, I uh, be careful I, with I that. Be careful with before. that villain word you're throwing around, or we, we'll sure be getting Chris hate Rowland's mail from the Latverian embassy. <laughs> well, and that's but that's part of it, and and to play with that theory a little bit. You st- you know, we've talked about this. Sometimes you just have to have your vil- villain who's batshit crazy and just out to kill people because he's crazy. They don't all have to have these sto- background stories where you feel sorry for them. Uh, but in this particular instance, I think Doctor Doom is a serious enough adversary. I'll use that word instead of villain. And he's he's shown enough character that to give him that background, to give him the motivation, to give him the depth, and to, to help you to understand what happens with him, or what happened to him, and what his motivations are, I just think it was phenomenal that they did that. And the actual story, there's, there's two, two original stories in this book and a reprint. The reprint being the first appearance from Fantastic Four number five. But there's the origin, which I believe is only 12 pages long. And then there's another story, I don't remember exactly what the title was, and it's got Ramatut in there, and it's it's an okay story, but I don't think it was really at the level that this particular one was. But they show how, you know, how Doom's father was a doctor, and he was called in, I think, to, to you know, render aid to the king's wife, who was apparently dying, I believe, of cancer, and she dies anyway, and... You know, he ends up getting killed for his troubles, and you know Doom is you know he he ends up running off. I, I seem to remember there's a scene in there where like Doom's father says to Boris, 
you know, watch out or whatever. And they think he means watch out for Victor. But what he really means is watch out for the world because Victor's going to, you know, wreak havoc on it. Uh, you know, and they show the whole thing where he goes in with the monks and he gets the mask. And then eventually John Byrne kind of fleshed that out a little bit, no pun intended, to give the storyline that they've, they had talked about but had never done, where he only had a small scar on his face, but the actual disfigurement came from him putting the, you know, the, the still white, red-hot mask on his face mm-hmm. and, you know, burn, burning his skin. So, you know, there's a lot going on there. And, and like I said, as far as I know, it was the first time they ever showed the antagonist's side of the story and made him a more three-dimensional character. And I just think, you know, it was groundbreaking. It's Lee Kirby at their creative, you know, with their creative juices going, you know, full tilt. And I'm not reading the reprints because I don't have them on my screen, but I am guarantee you this has been reprinted many times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had it. I had, I had it pulled up here a second ago. Uh, FF Annual number seven, Master. Yeah, a, a bunch of times. Probably the most. Uh, I was going to say the most convenient one probably be FF Annual number seven, but that was in '69. So that one's probably pricey now too. You got, you know, it was in the essentials. Was it? it was it in Bring on the Bad Guys? It was not. At least not according to the list I'm looking at. Hmm. I think I get this. Like in my head, because I read Books of Doom, which kind of expo- it, it it really it expands the story, right? Um, so I mean, it's I've probably read this, but it's been a long time. But but like most recently, I I read the Books of Doom probably in the past two or three years. So that's probably where I'm visualizing. As you were talking, I was vi- I think I was pulling stuff from that in back uh, up in my head, and not not this actual issue. I can recall the burn retelling, but for the life of me, I can't recall this telling of it, you know, the original telling of it. And I would have read it. This should have come up in your re- Yeah, relatively or... recently, but I, I don't, I unfortunately, I don't have any memory of it. That's odd. <laughs> Whoosh. Right by. Yeah. I got nothing. I like the cover. Giant Doom. When I first pulled this image up, I thought, oh, God, is this a stupid story where he, they, he sends everybody. them to get... No, he sends them to get Blackbeard's treasure or something, but that's the reprint well, that, story. That's, yeah, that's the reprint yeah. from Fantastic 105. That yeah. was the first appearance of Doom, was that stupid plot. That's <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. But it did introduce us to Doom's time machine, which has become a plot mechanism in many, many stories. This is oh, very yeah. true. And just sitting around unguarded, apparently, too. Yeah, well, yeah. time machine, smile machine. <laughs> as long as I'm rich. So, number two, Bill. Number two. Let's see. If we <laughs> number keep... two, Bill. Number two. <laughs> Who does number two work for? Let's see if we can keep the keep the streak rolling. This is a book we have done on the show. <gasps> Ooh. And we've done it. Recently, within the past, uh, I'd say two years, I'm not sure exactly when, which episode, and that is Uncanny X Men <gasps> number six. Oh, you bastard! Uh, we, got, we got we have duplication. <laughs> duplication. <laughs> <laughs> is it duplication at number two? It is. Oh, 
It is <laughs> interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> oh wow! All I know the only the only other thing I can add to whatever Bill's gonna say is that you sons of bitches covered this without me, and this is one of my oh. favorites. Did we? How did yes, we you this did. You? Ah, because you suck. Well, that was to be fair to us. No, 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 no. There is <laughs> to no, be, there to is be no fair to us. That was you. that was when you were on a lengthy streak where you hadn't been available for a while. Gee, because I have to work and feed my family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who tells you to do that? <laughs> oh, I gotta go work. <laughs> well, here money. you go. Now here's your time. My wife, I, I will. I will step aside. And I will let you do your pr- pr- presentation since you didn't get your chance to speak. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I mean, I. <laughs> hey, we already did a whole show on it. I've already said what I need to say. <laughs> um, well, this story has continued. It, the story in this annual, uh, X-Men annual number six, was continued from X-Men, uh, Uncanny X-Men number 159, which was in April of 82. This annual was in July, so it was separated by just a couple of months. Um the credits on it, Chris Claremont was the writer, of course. Penciler was Bill Sienkiewicz. And I think this is one of my earliest exposures to Sienkiewicz, who I'm kind of hot and cold on, I'll be honest with you. But in well, this, this before his crazy experimental. Yeah, that's you know, true. That is true. He He's drawing in a much more traditional style in this particular book. Um, it's Sienkiewicz inked by Bob Wyasek. And uh, I love it. I think it's great. I, you know, Art-wise, I think it's beautiful. But what I really like about this is this is the X-Men versus Dracula. And this storyline between X-Men 1, because I'll be honest with you, the lines blur for me between what happens in 159 and what happens in Annual 6 because it is a continuing story. But essentially between the two of them, it wraps up a lot of dangling plot threads from Tomb of Dracula. And that's one of the reasons I always really like the story. This is the X-Men, the classic X-Men you know, the uh, the all-new, all-different X-Men versus Dracula. And I love it because you really get to see what a badass and powerhouse Dracula is in this particular story. And I've always loved this story. I've always thought it was a really great one. Uh, it's been reprinted. The annual itself has been reprinted several times. It was reprinted in uh, X-Men versus Dracula number one in 93 Essential X-Men uh, Volume 4 trade paperback in 2001 and in the Marvel Masterworks series. X-Men 159 uh, has also been reprinted. It was in X-Men Classic 63, Essential X-Men uh, Volume 3, X-Men Curse of the Mutants, X-Men, uh, X-Men versus Vampires Number 1, which I don't know how that, that can be in there, but then the annual is not in there. That's just weird. And then again, in the Marvel Masterworks series as well. So yeah, both stories have been reprinted several times, but this is just a damn good story. Oh, yeah. And it's an awesome cover. Yes. I am very proud of the fact that my personal copy I have signed by both the writer and artist. Hmm. When are you working again? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, is that you know me? we we did we did talk about the issue because I think we covered the annual and then I think you were on the show for where we covered the issue prior because we also did the we did the issue that takes place before this because at least I at least I don't think we stiffed you twice did we? Probably. No, because we were talking about how they were fighting in the park, weren't we? Because that was in the other issue. Uh, because we were 
because I think we were comparing the classic S, uh, the classic X Men issue with the cover, and it was a the guy that draws Hellboy, Mignola. Yeah, and I think you didn't like the the Mignola cover. Oh, you know what? I, you could be right. Was that yeah. was that reprinting one fifty nine? Yes. Yeah, it was. Yeah, because because I think we were comparing that cover. At least I could have swore you were. You know, this. now that you say that, that's starting to ring a bell. I th- I think you could be right on that. Unless it was for last Halloween when we did. I I, I don't know. I swear I swear you were think you were giving us crap because. We didn't have now, you on the annual. Then we went back and did this issue. Now that you say that, that's kind of ringing. Or a bell. somebody that was on with us brought the issue or something. You were there. I'm pretty sure you were there for this discussion. I'm looking to see if I have that. Yeah, I don't have that particular issue of uh, classic X Men or X Men classic. But I know the one you're talking about. I th- I think you're right. I think we did because the cover for that one it, it's it's like a. Uh, um, mm. It's like a, it's like a foggy, like it's the park, like they're fighting in the park, or oh, in the you woods. mean, you mean uh, of X-Men the classic X Men cover, yeah, yeah, X Men one fifty nine, yeah, yeah, X Men. Let me pull it up. The here. classic X Men. I, I don't remember what number that we was. I want to say it's like, yeah, okay, we did do this one, yeah, because X Men one fifty nine. The original cover is the one of Storm vampire like in the background, and then you've got. Wolverine, Colossus, Kitty, and uh, Nightcrawler kind of cowering mm-hmm. uh, in her, sh- you know, in her shadow in the foreground. It's a Sankevic. I think you're right. I think we did. I-, I stand corrected. I think we did cover that one. But yeah, the annual you guys, uh, you guys did on one of those specials <laughs> without me. You did. It was the Screw Scott special. <laughs> You bastard! The one, the one I still can't get over was when we covered an issue of Challenges of the Unknown, and you're like, <laughs> "You bastards!" <laughs> that was the one you picked it's for me at random. You're like, "Here, do this book, Bill." You guys did Swamp Thing and the Challenges of the Unknown. Oh my god! It's like, really, dude? And it was really? picked totally at random. <laughs> well, um, yeah this this was also my number two. So. Well, that that That's takes funny. us to that takes us to number one. Okay, at number one for me, I have Avengers Annual number seven. Oh, you son of a! I was because I've got an Avengers Annual, and I was like, "What?" But it's not number seven. Not number seven. Not number seven. That's now. Actually, excuse me. I have to. Ch- I have to change that. Actually, my my story starts in Avengers Annual number seven. That is not my pick. <sighs> My oh. pick is Marvel Two and One Number Two that continues the story. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Now this this was Jim Starlin coming in. He did both issues back in 1977, uh, and it continues his Warlock Thanos saga that he had made epic in the pages of Warlock and in the pages of Captain Marvel, and virtually everything that he touched in that era. Uh, is this the story that ends with ELO playing Turn to Stone? That's the one. Yeah, I need to reread this before the movie comes out because I, I am really overdue for a reread of this. But yeah, this is this almost made my list. The only reason I didn't put it on my list is that I my memories of it are incredibly vague, and I didn't want to put it on the list and then you know not be able to to really discuss it in depth. But yeah, good good pick. In in the Avengers Annual number seven, 
you know, uh, Thanos is uh, basically he he. He kills Gamora, he kills Pip the Patrol, and eventually he kills Warlock. And they all end up in the Soul Gem. Uh, and he captures the Avengers, and he's, you know, successful. Uh, and what ends up happening is, then it ends up with the Thing and Spider-Man coming in. And Spider-Man eventually kind of sacrifices himself to free the Avengers, because he, he jumps through the the thing that's creating the field that's holding them, and, you know, Puts his own life at risk there. Uh, and eventually what happens is the Soul Gem releases Adam Warlock's spirit who comes and turns Thanos to stone, as per ELO. <laughs> yeah, I remember... See, I hadn't read this story when I read The Death of Captain Marvel. When that came out, when that graphic novel came out, I was just really kind of getting into comics. Oh, so, so he had no idea why he was... Yeah, I didn't... I, I, but... I, I, I think it really speaks to that, <clears throat> pardon me, to that story and also to Jim Starlin, you know, the power of his writing that even though, you know, he's this big creepy statue that comes to life after Marvel dies and, and basically escorts him into the netherworld, even though that's the only function he really serves in that story, I was hella intrigued by that. I was like, that's cool. Now I want to read about this guy. And so one of the first things I sought out was this storyline that, that uh, Paul's talking about and, uh, and was just blown away by it. I was like, damn, this is really cool. This, this Thanos guy is badass. So that's why I was so excited that, you know, he's the big bad in these movies. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this because I'm hoping that we get some serious imagery uh, from this, this storyline in uh, the, you know, the film itself. But yeah, good mm-hmm. good stuff. Yeah, me too. I can remember that. Well, I think we, I think um, they haven't said anything about Adam Warlock yet, but I'm thinking we're going to see him soon in the Marvel in Marvel Cinematic Universe. I will be amazed if he's not in Guardians two in some form or fashion. I will be absolutely well, well, shocked. Well, he's already by in that. Guardians, kind of. Right. Well, I the, think the we cocoon, brought up. Yeah. I think we brought up. I don't know. We I don't know if we talked about it on this show or, or another show. That in not the not the latest trailer, but the one before, that the gold skin people that that's the female, uh, uh, her, Aisha, Aisha, whatever, um, that's speaking to them and like all those other people around her of the same race, of Adam. But there was no Adam Warlock, quote unquote, race. So it's a little confusing how they're writing her. Literally, her because that was her name. She, she, you know, like Adam Warlock was him. Well, that's her. You guys know what I'm talking about, or am I just yep. about? Okay. Yep. Okay. I know. I know exactly. What so you're I don't know about. what's up with that. Why it seems to be there's a whole race. You know, like is he just going to be a member of this race that the collector had trapped? Maybe. Yeah, I'm curious as to what role he's going to play because it's going to have to be in this film. You'd think it's going to be in the next Guardians film that we might see him or show him getting released, or unless he's just going to pop up in the Infinity War movies. Or maybe he's not going to pop up at all, and we're just, you know, selling ourselves down a river. No, I'm I'm pretty sure he's going to be in there in some in some form or fashion. Mm. Yeah, I, I think we're gonna. I don't know if he's going to have a, a significant role, but I think we'll see him. Do you guys remember the, one of my favorite house ads? Was the one that was for this storyline and it showed the thing holding an open issue and like all the heroes were pouring out of it in his mm-hmm. face. And it was talking about like, just, it was this huge list of all of the characters that were in 
uh, Marvel two and one annual number two. Do you remember that that house ad? It it does Pretty sound much familiar. Here. Yeah, I love that. I'm trying to find an image of it right now, but Google is not my friend at the moment. So just just to finish the thought on this, I thought it was kind of an epic way to, you know, resolve the storyline. It wasn't a throwaway by any stretch. It was still you know really enjoyable to read. Uh, just just great. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yep. I agree. Well, I guess it's uh, back. So I got through my five without duplicating any of yours. Almost. I, I, I so here. I scared you, right? Yeah. So which Avengers do you have? I have. I picked Avengers Annual Number Ten. Nice. You with that? Oh, that, that's the first appearance of Rogue. It's the first appearance of Rogue. Yep. That's also where Michael Golden are. Michael Golden. You've got um, the uh, the Freedom Force. Yep. Well, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, as they were. Yeah, they weren't yep. quite the Freedom Force yet. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that it was. Uh, yeah, because it was Mystique leading the Brotherhood. You had Spider Woman guest starring, um, and it was the fallout from like a, around Avengers two hundred when. Carol Danvers had kind of been kidnapped and basically raped by um, um, Amortis. Um, you know, just Amortis's son. Yeah, Amortis' son who gave birth to himself, or was that later in the Avengers? Did, did, did that happen to happen to her? Twice? No, that was that was Avengers that issue two hundred. Yeah, that's right. Because there was this. This was this was Chris Claremont's answer to that story. He he was saying, you know, clearly she was being influenced. Her mind was being controlled, right. and the and Avengers just and let every, it they, they're just like, okay, yeah, see you, have fun, yeah. So, and then this is also after Rogue sucked out uh, her powers and her memories, and then she left. She it ended up leaving and going to the X Men, and later she would become the character Binary, and then later come back to be Miss Marvel, Warbird, Captain Marvel wherever she's at now. I think this is a good candidate for an episode of uh, Avengers Spotlight. Oh, Absolutely. yeah. 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 There's so much that goes on in here. This, this is this is a story you can't do justice in, you know, one third of an episode. Yeah. This, this was a huge, huge story that had, you know, lasting ramifications to this very day in the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this was huge. I, I'm shocked by the... By the list of reprints, it's been reprinted a lot of times. Oh, yes. Uh, reprints. It's Greatest Battles of the Avengers, trade paperback. Uh, X-Men in, in, in 1993. X-Men Firsts. It's re- reprinted in an X-Men book. Uh, Marvel Visionaries, Chris Claremont, hardcover. Uh, Essential Miss Marvel, Volume 1, trade paperback. And then uh, Master Marvel Works uh, 151, Uncanny X-Men, Volume 1, number 7. It's been reprinted in more X-Men and other non-Avenger stuff than anything else. Yeah. Well, you know, first Rogue and all that. Mm-hmm. I hadn't heard of this uh, Greatest Battles of the X-Men. Or excuse me, of the Avengers, rather. I'm looking at that now, thinking that that also could, uh, c- could provide mm. some good fuel for... Uh, you know what else is reprinted in that very same book? Avengers Annual Number 7. In that Greatest Battles book. That's funny. Hmm. <laughs> All right. Is it down to me? Down to you. Yep. All it's right. The, the list so, number one. Number one. So uh, 
This also is something that has been covered on Back to the Bins. This was covered in Back to the Bins way on back in number in episode number seventy-two. This is that doesn't count. That doesn't count. That doesn't count because that was before you two guys. This is DC Comics Presents Annual Number One from nineteen eighty-two, penciled by Rich Buckler, inked by Dick Giordano uh, on the cover. Uh, Dave Hunt did the interiors, written by Marv Wolfman. This is Superman and the Golden Age Superman. This is the story entitled Crisis on Earth 3. And, you know, to hear more about this one, just go back and listen to episode 72, because it was just Mike uh, Mike Bailey and I just absolutely gushing about what a friggin' awesome story this is. Didn't you and I cover that with Russell on his show? Yes, you did. Yeah, we did. Okay, I was going to say, it's like, uh... Yes, you did. Well, that counts. (laughs) (laughs) I was shocked to find out that this story had been reprinted because I think at the time that Mike and I covered that, I don't think it had ever been reprinted, but it has uh, since then been reprinted. It was reprinted in Showcase Presents, DC Comics Presents, the Superman Team-Ups Volume 2 Trade Paperback. Holy crap, that's a long name, but that's what it is uh, in 2013. I found something very interesting. I had no idea. Did you guys know that there were 49 issues of DC Comics Presents published before the first annual came out? I mean, that series is only what, like 78 issues, I think? Mm. That's, that's just mm. crazy. No, I know. I think it went hard. You know, than that's, that. that's, Did it? when I was looking through a bunch of, when I was looking through a bunch of other series, I, w- I was surprised how. Annuals weren't always every 12 issues. No, no, they were not. So, DC Comics Presents ran... I'm, looking, I'm I, sorry, I 97. Have, what did I say? Okay, you said 70-something. Yeah. Because I, I was just looking at what I have, and my highest number is number 94. Yeah, 97. Huh? In, my, in my collection. I'm sorry, I stand corrected. Yeah, almost 100, just shy of 100 issues. All right. Did Russell you- still has some work to do on <laughs> But yeah, that is that is that that as a matter of fact, that was the only one that came immediately to mind when you pitched the annuals idea. That was the only one that came to my mind. Beyond that, I was I was really struggling because I, I thought I was going to have a tough time populating my list, and as it turned out, I had a tough time paring the list down to just five. So I actually have some honorable mentions as well. Did you guys have any honorable mentions? Um, well, my only honorable mentions were the ones that I mentioned that were uh, connected to the issues I had. Right. Uh, like with uh, Fantastic Four number 11, uh, Marvel 2-in-1 Annual number 1 was connected to it. And with Marvel 2-in-1 Annual number 2, Avengers 7 was connected with it. Right. So those those are my only honorable mentions because they were connected to the books I had. Uh, but one, did you have any honorable mentions, Bill? Yeah, uh, the one that I was okay. So you guys can vote to it. Yeah, there was one that um, the one that I had mentioned in the chat pre pre show that uh, I wanted to bring in, but it wasn't an actual annual, and it was the crossover between the X Men and the New Teen Titans with Darkseid and and that whole storyline. Uh, was Walt Simonson did the art? That's mm-hmm. an awesome story. That's another one we could do a whole episode. I was just going to say we should do a uh, we should do as a follow up to this at some point a top five a top five one shots because that would be a good one to to put on a one shot list mm-hmm. or even top five crossovers. Yeah, crossovers too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to do top fives every once in a while. Cool. I mean, we're not going to make it the 
I, I don't think we want to have a specific release schedule on it. Right. But, you know, every once in a while we'll do one. Every once in a while, yeah. So. I like that idea. Um, I did have a couple. Like I, I already mentioned before, uh, X-Men, or excuse me, I keep saying X-Men, uh, Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 6. Uh, other ones real quick, uh, Batman and Robin Adventures Annual Number 1, because it is a sequel, a direct sequel to Batman Mask of the Phantasm, the animated movie. And I love that movie. And it's a pretty damn good sequel. It really holds up well. And on a bit of a sad note, it was also Mike Parabek's last professionally published work. So it, it holds a real soft spot in my heart for that reason. But it is a really good story. Um, Legion of Superheroes Annual Number 1. Um, this is from the Livets in Giffen era from 1982. This one didn't make my list only because it has been decades since I read it. But I can remember this one rocking is my... Is that the one with the... With the, the little black yep. girl who has powers that she can't control. Yep. She's been possessed by Computo is what it is. She's actually the okay. sister of the kid that becomes the new invisible kid. He He's not invisible right. kid as the issue starts. But at the end of it, he drinks whatever in the original invisible kid's name was. He drinks his serum, his invisibility serum, and becomes the new invisible kid at the end of that story. But yeah, they. I think if I remember the story right, they're there on a tour when Computo gets loose. And Computo in the old DC Silver Age was a friggin' ridiculous... I mean, he just was a giant, like, boxy computer. Like, p- picture like a 50s computer. You know, one of those ones that was as big as a room. It was this big boxy computer that had wheels and doc- you know, Dr. Octopus tentacles. It was really stupid. But in this story, it was damn scary because somehow, and I don't remember how, but it possesses the little girl. So she's basically pulling an exorcist on the Legion, and she trashes them. It totally destroys their clubhouse and kicks their asses. And I can remember reading that story. And again, you know, and this is at an age where I was really just starting to really seriously get into comics. And I can remember that just being a game changer for me where I realized just, you know, how I hate to say dark, but for its time, it was a dark story because it was, it really had a, a sinister feel to it, a real, a real sense of danger. Like, like she's going to kill somebody. I have, like I said, I haven't read it in decades, so it didn't make my list only because I'm not sure it still holds up. And anytime I go back and look at those old Giffen issues now, I'm sad to say the art doesn't hold up for me the way it did. I was very enamored of of Giffen's Legion when I was a kid, but I, I was looking at some issues recently on another uh, project I was doing for a different show, and that sadly the art just doesn't hold up anymore to me. I, I found it actually kind of unappealing, which was sad. Anyway, moving on, a couple other uh, quick mentions here to other Marvel team-up annuals, uh, annuals four and five. Uh, annual four was Spider-Man teaming up with Moon Knight, Iron Fist, Power Man, and Daredevil versus the Purple Man by Frank Miller and Herb Trimpey. I just reread this recently because there was some project that the three of us were... We were going to do it in the Luke Cage That's score. right. It was the Luke Cage score episode. I did reread it. I was very pleasantly surprised to find that it still holds up. I still think it's a damn good story. And uh, keep listening, folks, because I will be bringing that to 
uh, an episode of Back to the Bins as kind of a leftover because I thought it was great. And I mean, you know, geez, how timely is this? We're about to get Iron Fist. We've already gotten Power Man and Daredevil, and we had the Purple Man in Jessica Jones. Uh, this was, to my recollection, this was my first introduction to every character in this book, with the exception of Spider-Man and maybe the Kingpin. But this was definitely my introduction to Moon Knight, Iron Fist, Power Man, and Daredevil, and and of course the Power uh, Purple Man as well. Uh, I, I think it still holds up. The art's not that great, but the story really does hold up well. Uh, the other one, Annual 5, was Spider-Man, The Thing, Scarlet Witch, Doctor Strange, and Quasar uh, versus the Serpent Society. And if I'm not mistaken, I think this kind of wrapped up the whole Project Pegasus Serpent Crown thing. Um, but of course, I didn't know of any of that when I was a kid reading this for the first time. All I knew was that Holy crap, I don't know who any of these people are, but this is an awesome story. And I didn't get a chance to fully reread it today to see if it still holds up. But artistically, I was really surprised to see it still looks really good, which surprised me because it's Jim Mooney. And I'm not terribly enamored of Jim Mooney, but I I thought the art still looks really good. Um, It was written by uh, Mark Grunewald. Uh, And then lastly two annuals of new teen titans not the one that bill mentioned but the two preceding ones uh, annuals one and two annual one of course wolfman and perez wrapped up the blackfire saga the blackfire saga is where i jumped in at new teen titans because there was an issue i want to say it's number 22 but don't hold me to it but there was an issue of new teen titans where Superman stopped by at the very beginning of the story because his power had been halved because he had been split into two physical beings. And so I only stopped in on the Titans to see what Superman was doing over there because it was referenced in some Superman book, and I ended up getting hooked on the Titans. And this was at the time when they were just about to go off into space uh, and fight Blackfire. So that annual wraps up the whole thing, and I just remember it being really epic. Yeah, it's got uh, a really gorgeous cover to that. Yeah, too. it does. It's beautiful. Anybody who doesn't know who Blackfire is, that was Starfire's sister. Starfire's evil sister, yeah. Really good stuff. But again, I haven't read that story in a long time either. So mostly the, the things that wound up at this list were were either they did they just didn't quite make my list, or I was afraid to put them on my list because it's just been so long since I'd read them, I didn't know if they still held up. Um and then the last one, uh New Teen, New Teen Titans Annual Number Two. Now, this one I have reread fairly recently. Um, just wasn't quite good enough to make my top five, but it is a damn good one. Wolfman and Perez again. Um, this one's a spotlight on Robin just prior to him becoming Nightwing, and it was just a really damn good story. It was involving him and the vigilante, but there's uh, there's a moment in this story where Robin, and remember, this is the classic pixie boots wearing Robin confronts a gangster in an Italian restaurant. And I know it's hard to imagine in that outfit, but he is damn scary. He's intimidating as hell in one of the uh, pieces of art that, that Perez depicts. And I just love it. I just think it's a really great moment where you take a costume that many people laugh at today and totally make it work. And I don't think anybody did that better than George Perez did. And that issue really proves that. Also, uh, just oh, as an historical wait, note, wait, 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 wait. What's that? before you jump onto that, I uh, just want to make a quick shout out about Vigilante. The character Vigilante, I, I know you don't watch Arrow, but he's been on Arrow recently. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Is it the Adrian Chase one? Uh, I can't say because I might spoil something for somebody. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> Interesting. 
It's not the classic cowboy vigilante. No, no, it's not the cowboy vigilante. It's the vigilante that you're saying from that annual, that cool. that costume, pretty much. That's cool. And there is an Adrian Chase on that show, but I don't want to say anything else. Interesting. Um, just as an interesting historical note, uh, that that uh, annual number two is also the second pre-crisis monitor appearance. That book I covered... Um, and I think I covered it with Mike Bailey. I could be wrong. I might have been solo on that episode. I can't remember, but that was actually covered on an episode of um, Tales of the Justice Society of America. I couldn't tell you which one, but I know it was covered. And that's my honorable mention list. I'm curious. You know, <clears throat> we were going to read email today, mm-hmm. but we're, we're already over two hours. And uh, what we noticed is that our good friend Russell Bragg writes in, and I want to encourage Russell to keep on writing in. I don't want this yes, to make please. ever sound like we don't want him to write in, and we want him. But I'm noticing a dearth of emails from people other than Russell. We get the Kirk Greenfield emails and the occasional Socrates. But, you know, if you guys are listening, let us know what you're thinking. You know, I'm, I'm curious what you think about the annuals we named. I'm curious if you... Have other annuals that you're sitting there saying, I can't believe you didn't mention whichever one. Or, I can't believe you liked this one. You know, whatever it is, we're interested in hearing people's opinions. And as much as we enjoy getting the opinions that we get, we'd like to hear, you know, a multitude of them. So, please write in. Please give us uh, iTunes reviews, too. Those are good. Absolutely. Yeah, on that on that subject, since we're, we're doing a bit of uh, just, uh, what's the word? Pandering. <laughs> I, I'm I'm literally I'm operating on about uh, eight hours sleep for three the past three days, so I'm starting to really lose it here. But anyway, uh, just a bit of housekeeping here. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, iTunes reviews. Uh, it's been a while since we've gotten any. It's been a while since we've read any on the show. Uh, I also want to back up what Paul said about feedback. Please provide us some feedback. We really need it. Uh, I was thinking about this today, actually, while I was in the Back to the Bins Facebook group that, you know, Paul posts up a link for every single episode and we get a little bit of comment on it, but really not much. I'd love to see some some conversations over there. Uh, But again, I will sacrifice commenting on the Facebook group so long as we have emails pouring in. We get them pouring in, but as Paul said, it seems to seem, you know, it seems to be just the same, you know, three or four guys all the time. So, you know, if you're listening, if you're listening to the show, and particularly, you know, if if you've been a longtime listener that that hasn't sounded off, uh, you know, let us know. Let us hear from you. Goddamn dog. Hang on just a second. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved.
Each and every month, the Two True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I would just start laughing.